Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most spectacular podcast on earth. <laughs> um, I apologize for that terrible intro, but we had to do it because we're going to talk about the circus today. It's one of our movies. This is the B-side for the film stage. Here, as always, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we're talking about the once and future Dark Knight himself. Not really once, not yet, but soon to be future Dark Knight. Robert Pattinson himself. <laughs> um, he is a weird one. Uh, we He's always been on our list. He's someone who is he's one of these guys. He's more B-side than A-side. Um, and I will say, Connor... Two of the four of these movies in rewatching made me feel very old. Yes. Uh, because yes. I saw them as a much younger man, literally a decade ago. And um, I like them both, I guess, more then than I do now, um, which I, I guess speaks to just getting older and whatever, having different opinions. But um, yeah, that's that's just that is what it is. So yeah, Robert Pattinson, he's our guy, he's our subject. Connor, uh, how are you doing? How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I have to compliment you uh, during this whole time, this pandemic. There's been a lot of good cooking and cocktailing uh, uh, yeah. in, your, in your in your house, and yes, I've been jealous and impressed. It, it's something. Uh, thank you. It's something. Yeah, I've had to kind of just almost like by default up my uh cooking and mixology game because you know if we're if we're not going out and doing things you got to kind of keep keep things interesting uh yeah al- sure also a good way to pass the time for sure to kill time uh but yeah um speaking of cooking while in quarantine tonight's subject has uh, done a little bit of that oh yeah, yeah. you know it's funny <laughs> It's funny that you I, I meant to write that down on my notes to mention the GQ profile. So Robert Pattinson, obviously we're recording this. It's late June 2020. Um, I you know, what was it, April probably when that GQ profile came out? And yeah. it was like Pattinson quarantined in his London flat, get, still getting sent the meals that was part of his meal plan uh for getting you know bulked up for batman because they were still filming batman when everything shut down so it's this it's a pretty good profile that got a lot of reaction on social media and a lot of people felt it was endearing to pattinson but what i found and i feel like me and you talked about this what i found a little disconcerting was like this is a third a guy in his 30s and he's basically like I don't know how to make mac and cheese or whatever, right? Yeah, like, he's like trying. Was, he he went into this whole, and you should read the piece. It's worth reading. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll link to it in the yeah. In the yeah it, it's worth reading, but he goes into this whole sort of entrepreneurial plan he has for like Mike. Like, it, it starts by him asking if he can like how to microwave pasta, um, but then it turns into this kind of devolves into this thing of him sort of talking about this plan he has for like fast food pasta love it uh and there is uh, there's also a really good piece on uh 
the takeout, which is like the onion slash AV club like that. It's their food blog um, where someone actually tries to make it, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. But um, so suffice to say that's quarantine content for you. Yeah, right he's Pat Pattinson's been uh, passing his time uh, making shitty pasta. Now, I'm sure, you know, as things are, I guess, in other parts of the world that aren't uh, the United States, as as things are getting slowly not back to normal, but there's some element of, you know, things reopening and whatnot. Um, I would imagine Batman will begin filming relatively soon or, uh, you know, uh, restart filming. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, look, it's 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 another example of all these movies. When will it come out, obviously, and what will it look like with, you know, these new rules for how, how you film in quarantine and whatnot. So you have to wonder, too, how far it gets pushed back uh, relative to maybe some other movies that whose productions have been delayed. Um, right. I mean, only because it, it is... seemed like they were in it. You know what I mean? So sure, you, you yeah. have to. And I, I mean, who knows how much they actually shot or how far they got. Um, I can't help but imagine though, that if you're, if you're Matt Reeves, you're at least like pivoting into as much post as you can do. Um, I guess, right. Like just to keep, keep things moving. But yeah, I guess, I mean, we'll see, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how next year shapes up. So I'm just, yeah, just to answer our question a little bit. Um, Zach Scharf, who I believe was on one of our cinephile game nights. He was, yeah. Um, he wrote an article for IndieWire and it came out on April 10th. And he said, he taught, I guess he, I'm looking here. Maybe he's just reporting. Oh yeah. I think he was just reporting something that deadline had reported anyway. Um, Reeves said, it took me two years to work on the story and it's very specific mystery noir that's been really thought out by me and my partners. The only thing Reeves predicts will change because of the production shutdown is his approach on filming the 75% of the movie he still has oh, left. Oh, interesting. Okay. So quite a bit. Um, so yeah, we'll see. But regardless, um, the, the, the Batman is a, is a big step for Pattinson who, of course... Got his start in a very popular franchise, which has come up before on this very podcast called Twilight. Ended up being five movies based on the very popular books. And that was what catapulted him to, of course, to stardom. And two of the B-sides we're going to talk about come out right in the heat of all of that stuff, right? So the four we're going to focus on today are Remember Me from 2010, Water for Elephants from 2011, Queen of the Desert, the Werner Herzog picture, uh, which premiered at Berlin at the film festival in 2015, but did not come out in the States until 2017. And then finally, the Zellner Brothers' Damsel, which came out in 2018. I was lucky enough to see it at Sundance 2018. And I really liked it then. I'm happy to report I I really like it now. Um, And so, yeah, Remember Me and Water for Elephants were the two movies I referenced earlier that made me feel very old because I remember seeing them in theaters. I reviewed... Remember Me, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and it's funny to just think about that time in my life, because like I said, it was a decade ago and I was living in New York and I was peeing on movie sets and doing all that stuff and writing for the film stage, which is still so very new um, after me and Jordan had started it um, only like two years earlier in college. And yeah, it was all happening as as it were. So I was in my, in my early 20s. And um, so... Remember me. This was like the first <laughs> not Twilight semi big 
Robert Pattinson picture that came out. It was, it was. Yeah, because the uh, only other, I mean, I think the only other bigger reference at the time would have been the Goblet of Fire. Right. Well, right. But, which but came he, out before. It, right. I mean, and even though he has a, I, I, I and I think we've even mentioned this on the podcast before, but like of the Harry Potter movies, that's like the one that I always wind up like watching if yeah. it's on or stopping on. And I always remember like when I watch it, how prominent his role actually is in the movie. I always think it's yeah, like see, some tiny gonna, little role. It's like a pretty uh, significant. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you because I have not rewatched it in a long time. I was going to, it was yeah, because I remember the character in the book, Cedric Diggory is like a big deal. Obviously yeah, he's, the, the fate I mean, of him and everything. He's like, you know, if it's obviously your normal three leads and then all of the supporting characters who come into it because of the uh, the tournament and whatnot, he's one of those supporting characters. But again, fairly like significant. He's like the only other one, I guess, spoilers for Goblet of Fire or whatever, but he's like the only other one who makes it to the end. Uh so he's, right. he's, and then, he's and then and then eats it does and, not, he's, and yeah. he's like bring my body back for my father harry um flawless impersonation yeah, thank you thank you um but yeah he's it's pretty he's pretty prominent but again from a i feel like from a career standpoint it you know he wasn't really on anybody's radar and then the twilight movies happened obviously right so yeah so twilight is 08 um and that's a sea change, of course, for his career, Kristen Stewart's career, and Taylor Lautner's career. Um, now, Twilight was Summit. Remember Me, our first movie, was also Summit. Um, Will Fetters wrote the screenplay to this movie. I'm going to say it was a blacklist screenplay. We can check that. It, I believe it was. There is, um, so this and, uh, and uh, Water for Elephants, actually, were both uh, blacklist. The difference, though, is... Water for Elephants, which is based on the Sarah Gruen book, which I've read and I and I remember enjoying well enough the the book. Water for Elephants was written by Richard Legravenace, who's right, like one right. of our great screenwriters. Um, so it's just funny because Will Fetters, who look, Will Fetters has gone on to have a great career. He got nominated only two years ago for the remake of A Star Is Born. So he has been writing um, kind of in that romantic, romantic adjacent realm ever since this movie. So say what you will about Remember Me, but you know, the guy who wrote it has gone on to have a very, you know, accomplished career. Um, okay, so it comes out, it does fine, actually, for all the controversy about the ending and do we want to talk about the end? I feel like we I think have we should. to, right? I think, yeah. I think we should. Um, um, I, I will say I don't want to spoil Damsel. No, but we I think won't. I we, think for Remember Me, yeah, we can definitely yeah, do yeah. It. it. So if you haven't seen Remember Me, we're we're going to spoil it because it's the kind of movie that uh, the the moves it pulls in the latter part of the movie are so integral to the way you you need to like think and talk about this movie um, and sort of I guess the reactions that followed uh, thereafter yeah. when it came out. So. Yeah, I guess Dan, I'll let you take it away, and we'll kind of get into yeah, no, why so, the movie. Yeah, no, insane. so I'll just so for all of the 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 minor hoopla ultimately that that came up about that with this movie. What is interesting is it cost sixteen million, right? So for a mid major movie like Summit at that time, not a crazy amount of money, especially when you have pants and you have your Twilight Boy in the movie, and it makes worldwide fifty six. So. What you know, not a hit. You know, I'm sure they spent a lot advertising this movie, but 
once again, I don't think it was like some huge bomb that Summit was having to recover from either. So anyway. It's certainly a test, an initial sort of test of exactly. like his movie stardom of like, exactly. who is this guy? Can he can he sell a movie? Yeah, um, and I think Water for Elephants, which we'll get to in a moment, has a similar kind of B, B minus passing grade for Pattinson because it also performs well enough right yeah it's yeah. essentially like pattinson's mini titan titanic right, right? It's that's like, the that's like the exact perfect comparison for them so movie. so remember me it's about this kid tyler hawkins he's 21 going on 22 he's a rich kid but he's living in a shitty apartment downtown new york um we're we're never told what to, what year it is but there are hints that it's not 2010 that it's a little bit you know there are like references that I think that they kind me- of make I, you. I think they mentioned near the beginning that it's uh, that it's two thousand one. It, no, that it's ninety one. So that's sort of your only. Uh, it's or it's like ninety one or ninety four or whatever. So when you open with a surprise Martha Plimpton, uh, which is sort of yeah, uncredited, uncredited, yeah, and it's kind of I will say it's it's a pretty good. I always kind of appreciate casting like that because you need it to be effective. Uh, she plays the mother of Allie, who's, of Emily Allie, who's the yeah. other lead. They really, he really just liked that name, Allie, huh? I was going to say it all the Stars way through. Born. Starsborn, yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking the same thing. But and Emily DeRaven at that time was coming off of Lost, right? Right. She I was, was trying to Lost. think of the other thing. Uh, yeah, that that she was in, which, but, which is funny. She's good in this movie, actually. Yeah. Um, and anyway, go ahead. No, no, so basically Plimpton's her mother. It's a, a, a younger version of her, right? And uh, her mother basically gets killed in the process of them getting mugged on a subway platform, right? In, in New York uh, yep. in, in the early 90s. And you, it, it that moment, I, again, it's effective casting because you're like, oh, like if you know nothing about the movie, right? You're like, oh, Martha Plimpton, like what's up? And then, you know, she gets killed in two seconds. So right. it, is, it is kind of thankless, but again, uh, effective because you already sort of have an attachment to the face. Um, then Chris, Kru- Chris Cooper strolls on the scene, who is her dad, who is also uh, an NYPD detective. And uh, and then we kind of just do a flash forward, basically, um, into Pattinson's life. Uh, and yeah. you're not you don't really know it's a flash forward just yet. It's the, the movie plays a little fast and loose with its timing in that. Doesn't it say it doesn't say 10 years later? Oh, maybe. Maybe I, I missed, think it, maybe I missed that. But but regardless, it jumps forward and you meet this kid, Tyler, who's Pattinson and he's living in a shithole. And then soon enough, you come to learn he's actually a rich kid. His dad's Pierce Brosnan. Um, and they have a very bad relationship. His mom's Lena Olin. There's mention of another kid, Michael, who you very, very soon get the sense is not around anymore. Something tragic happened, which we'll find out about later. And, you know, it fractured the family in some sort of way. Panson's got a younger sister who he looks out for. And let me just say this up the front. I reviewed this for the young film stage way back when mm-hmm. my review was published. I'll link to it in the article. I published my review March 12th, 2010. And I, so I gave this movie and I'm owning this. I gave this movie back then 
a seven out of 10, which is very high. <laughs> um, and I'll just give you a couple little, a, a, a couple little bits here. I start, I, uh, God, my writing, I start saying <laughs> solid romantic dramas are precious these days, which I, you know, I, it's still true. Fair. Few and far between like something on the verge of extinction, rarity like that breeds cynicism, especially when the merits of quote unquote, a solid romantic drama are decided by some of the most, oh, wow. By some of the most cynical people in the entire world, the movie critics. Whoa. Dan coming out hot, yeah. taking on the critical industry. You were feeling a certain kind of way when you read um, that, for sure. And then, yeah, and then I acknowledge. So despite its middling reviews and unnecessarily cult-like Robert Pattinson fandom, Remember Me, directed by the very capable Alan Coulter, which is still true. Alan still Coulter, true. very good, very good uh, TV director and also directed Hollywoodland, which we covered on this podcast, mm-hmm. is a simple, well, well-made love story about two young tortured souls and the families that torture them. Okay. All right. So that's like not that statement in and of itself is not the most inaccurate thing. Right. And this is what I'd say. I still basically agree with most of that. I think, and we'll get to the twist and everything, but I, in rewatching this movie, I did not like it. Um, And, and the main reason I did not like it is because of the Tyler Hawkins character, the Robert Pattinson character. He's, He's a toughie. Now, look, this is a great opportunity to talk about perspective, right? When I watched this movie and I reviewed it, that was 2010, right? I was just 22, literally the age mm-hmm. of that kid. I that is, that is his character's age. I was single in New York City or about to be, right? It was like, right. right I was finishing college actually 2010. So actually, yeah, I was 21, about to be 22. Yeah, so exactly his age. So I was finishing college. You know, you're drinking, you're smoking the occasional cigarette, right? You're doing all the things he's doing in the movie. Writing right? in being, a diary in a diner and like. Right. Going yeah. to a diner, he's drinking late night coffee. And I was doing all that, right? Yeah. Like any yeah, sure. kid like that, right? And so I'm sure I sympathize with him way more 10 years ago. Okay. And then it's a James Deany thing, right? He's very brooding. And I think he does a lot of this, uh, Pattinson when he's younger and he's gotten way weirder. Not that Dean wasn't weird, but he's gotten way kind of in his own pocket yeah. in the last 10 years, sure. obviously, which I think to his benefit, of course. So he's doing all that stuff. He's charming, but he's brooding. He's complicated, but like, it's one of those things where rewatching it, it's hard not to watch that character. And how he handles his relationship with his father and how he handles his relationship to the people in his life and just kind of say, and just kind of not want to say, grow up kid. What are you doing? Like, this is ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. Like he's got trauma in his life and we learn about the trauma, like I mentioned before with his brother. So, okay. But I, but it's tough because, and it goes past the father. I think Pierce Brosnan is another good performance where he does a good job he seems like the villain, but then towards the end of the movie, you kind of get the sense there's more there yeah. than you kind of initially think. Which I think we even taught, we may have talked about a little bit on our Pierce Brosnan episode. Um, sure. But yeah, that, I'm glad you said that because he, I think, I do, th- I think a couple of the supporting performances in the, this movie are the best parts of it, namely Brosnan and I think Cooper is pretty good too. And what's funny is in my review, 
I praise Brosden, but I take a dig at Cooper, at which Cooper? I didn't understand. Now rewatching it, I don't understand really why. I think they both did give it. to kind of to what you said about Brosden. I think they both give like kind of interesting, nuanced, like you know, certainly not like knocking it out of the park necessarily, but but they are definitely like adding some texture to this movie. Yeah, like uh, I said ten way. years ago, that Cooper's character is not well drawn. Which okay, okay, Dan, but but. I will say rewatching it, I liked his relationship with his daughter, yeah. Allie, Emily DeRaven, because they have a very adult relationship right. where like she makes a joke about, oh, uh, should I don't wait up, like kind of the, the implication being she's gonna go kind of hang out with this guy. And he reacts to it very healthily. Like he isn't like, you know, I guess you're expecting yeah. it to be this like shitty conservative, like you do what I say, guy. Yeah. And he's really not like that. Like ultimately he does get like that. And there's the whole, he's a cop and there's all that element, but in their scenes together, I think they actually have a pretty well-drawn relationship. So that was kind of a funny turnaround from however I thought about it 10 years ago. I think the problem is once again, Pattinson, it's not a particularly great performance. It's not a particularly well-written lead character. Um, It's all serving this, twist which does affect the way you see the whole movie of course and hit hit worse for me 10 years later which yeah. is funny i also i'll admit i think as a young punk writer i probably gave it a higher review than i even truly felt because i wanted to be uh differential and sure, rebellious sure. like me like a little contrary yeah, yeah contrarian exactly yeah. that's the best word for it so all of that is there lena olin isn't in a lot of it, but she's one of those performers. Every time she's in a movie, I'm always kind of like, she's great. Yeah. Like I wish she, Lena Olin so was in So she everything. was in this movie not too long after I, uh, I mentioned to Brittany while we were watching it, like, Oh, this is like the second time in the span of like two years that Lena Olin plays the mother of like a rich silver spooned James Dean fuckboy is what I, is what I call him. Well, what's Cause the she's other also in that movie awake with Hayden Christensen. Oh, she's his mother. Yeah, in that movie? she plays his mother in that movie. Um, oh God, remember Awake? I yeah. feel like we watched that together. That yeah, movie. probably. It's uh, that's a certain kind of movie. But well, he's having surgery and he and he's, wakes up. Yeah, but he's he, he can't he can't do anything. Like tell the doctors. Correct. But he. Like, oh God, yeah. I forgot. It's about a, that's that movie. a movie. That's a movie that the conceit is super interesting for me. Right, like you a, go like for oh, like Hitchcock, a twenty-two minute Hitchcock Twilight Zone episode or something. Yeah, or like Hitchcock would have done a fun thing. Right, right. Like and a spellboundy thing and with the, that. Yeah, in the yeah. movie, um, that's a weird. That's a that is a B side. Um, yeah, that'll be for our Jessica Alba <laughs> hating Christensen episode seventeen years. From yes, now. indeed. Um, when we're much, much older men. Um, but no, the, to your point about the James Dean thing, I couldn't help think about, um, East of Eden while watching this movie, which I guess is sort of, it's not, I don't mean that in a way to compliment the movie. It's just more, there is a high melodrama, uh, at play in this movie that this movie needs because Otherwise, of where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. Because of where it's going and because of sort of the nature of the love story. Right. And I say this maybe as just being a little older and a little more cynical than I was 10 years ago or whatever. But like I have a tendency to have a hard time now watching sort of young star cross lover kind of uh, 
romances uh, or any kind of like young adult skewed thing because there is always that element, like you said, of just grow up. Like you have no idea. Like it's like, do you know what I mean? Like there's like a there's a level to the drama that I feel like the genre, the genre needs to enhance it with things like. I witnessed my brother kill himself or I witnessed my mother get murdered in front of my eyes to add actual like legitimate trauma right, because right. otherwise they're just, you know, young, but, but angry it's people, weird. right? It's, it's yes, but it's interesting how it's also, it's, I, I think it's also about tone and directorial choices and writing choices. Cause with East of Eden, there's a very, so there's a scene in, uh, remember me where Pattinson, barges into his father's yeah that's um, the scene i'm talking about like it's yeah, very it's very east of eden right because yeah so so if you know east of eden right it's based on the john steinbuck book it was the first of the three movies that james dean starred in in that quick period 55 to 56 before he died in the auto accident weirdly one of the b-sides we're not going to talk about for too long but we'll briefly mention is Weirdly, Robert Pattinson was in a movie about James Dean, but he played Dennis Stock, right? Who's Not the photographer? James Dean. <laughs> yeah, who's the photographer who filmed the famous photos that you have seen of James Dean literally months before he died, right? And Dane DeHaan played James Dean. That movie's called Life. And it's funny because I made in college with Connor a film that is based on the famous photo of James right, Dean right. to yeah. the point where we filmed the scene where I had a cigarette and yeah. an overcoat and I tried to do the James Dean yep. pose. That's how shitty and pretentious we were uh, in uh, SUNY Buffalo. Uh, Sounds like the kind of kid who might like remember me. That's yeah, for sure. Oh so, God. So true. <laughs> um, I feel like we were filming it when remember me came out. I, that was, yeah. That's it's entirely or possible. We were, editing, we were probably editing it when it came yeah. out. Um, anyway. So all this, all this to say, in East of Eden, it's a modern retelling at the time of the Cain and Abel story. And um, it was a very popular book, very popular movie, Eli Kazan. Um, and James Dean plays Cal, who's based on Cain. And he has this very memorable scene where he like breaks down to his father. And he's like, you don't understand me. You can't understand. And the father, very conservative, is like, is affected by it. And it's one of those things, this is like a behind the scenes. This was encapsulated actually in the James Dean TV movie that where James Franco played James Dean. The act, the actor who played the father was very uncomfortable by James Dean's very method performance. And that comes across in that scene. If you watch East of Eden, it's a very weird, strange, memorable scene. Yeah. And it's because of all of those things together. But essentially, it's the same idea. It's this idea of like the young generation. You don't understand what we're dealing with. We have to, right? And it plays really well in East of Eden. In Remember Me, Brosden's response to this temper tantrum that Pattinson throws is like a very measured, he's like, look, man, he was my son who killed himself. You think I'm not suffering? Like I'm trying to you know to make this work and da 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 and what's weird is it just pattinson's pleas his pleas to his father they f- it's yeah i don't know i don't know how to explain it they they fall far more flat yeah than when you think about something like east of eden and then i love her i love her good god you toss that word around when you have no idea what it means maybe i don't 
And maybe Caroline doesn't either. I have provided her world and yours. That doesn't mean you could just shatter it. Whenever you feel, whenever, whenever, whenever there's something better to do. Who the hell do you think you're talking to? You pedal down here on your bike, for Christ's sake. You gotta take care of nothing. You're responsible for no one. You're a kid. You think you're the first one to lose anything? You think that whatever you feel in your heart, I don't also feel it in mine? You didn't find him. Tonight, I found him. And you're so just tragically blind that the rest of your children are gonna hang themselves on your watch. You little piece of I think it's because of the nature too of where they're coming from. Like I and again, this might just be a 2020 lens versus a 2010 lens in terms of watching the movie, but just like a lot of the behavior he exhibits just feels kind of shitty. And so, and and you, and again, like, you know, the movie, I guess, kind of tries to balance that out with like, look, he's like living with this trauma of, of finding his, his uh, brother who committed suicide. And so, you know, I, the movie leverages that in his favor to an extent, I suppose, but there is this, there is this weird chip on his shoulder that he has about the background and upbringing that he comes from, which seems to be part of the huge sort of grudge that he's holding. Yeah. And it's tough to not just look at that and be like, look, man, just like you got to just take a step back and take a look at all this. Right. And I think that's well, and look, I think honestly, and this is probably maybe in defense of the Pattinson performance, this whole comparison is probably honestly more of a compliment to the one and only James Dean. Sure, right? who, sure. Who is forever, you know, forever iconic because sadly of what happened, right? So it's like you could, ne- you know what I mean? That that moment in time where he captured that because there's Rebel Without a Cause, it, it's a similar thing, right? Like yeah. it's this idea of like, you know, Jim, Jim Stark's like, you don't understand. Like yeah, I need the, to drive fast. Like this is, you know, it, it 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 basically predates what becomes counterculture ten years later, sure, right? Sure. So those movies, like if Remember Me, somehow connects to like the moment right now, which it does not. Right. But like if it somehow did, you would re- you would remember Remember Me in a way that's <laughs> and weirdly, and this is probably a good segue to talk about the twist. Weirdly, actually, instead of maybe ultimately thinking forward it's actually thinking back because it's connecting to an event 10 years prior nine years prior right that feels very ultimately for better or worse you know it feels cheap right and yeah and, and, and we'll get to it. let me just say before we get to the twist the best part of this movie and connor maybe you agree as someone who lives in queen i used to live in queens you still live in queens best part of the movie emily de raven ending a date with uh robert pattinson very charming gets in a cab she gets into the cab and she says to the cabbie, and I, I so related to this because I did this a million times. She goes, I'm going to Queens. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. And I, I which, literally was like. Which like, it reads as like a little shitty, but it is one of no, those things dude. that I, hang on, hang on. But I, I do agree with you because it felt, it did feel at least real in terms of like, you know. Yeah, you to, sometimes have to do that. Yeah, yeah, having to late night take a cab from yeah. Manhattan to Astoria or whatever. It's it's a thing. You gotta say the cabbie, um, the cabbies have to take you there. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just it's what it is. It, it's uh no no no. It's it, the movie, yeah. I mean, it's not bereft of little moments like that. Like there's a dinner scene with uh where Pattinson finally introduces 
uh, Allie to his father, right? And they go to the Oak Room. And so Pattinson's super shitty about it because it's like the Oak Room, right? And what's funny is like, I'm just like, I don't, that hit his dad's taking them to dinner at the Oak. That seems really nice. Like I like, and I get that he has this thing about his dad and like the emotional sort of distancing right, that he's right, seemingly right, done right. from his family. But it is just one of those like, yeah, I don't know, man, maybe stop and think about the fact that your dad's taking you to dinner at the Oak room. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I just, and also it's one of these things and feel free to criticize me for this opinion as I get older. And I've, I feel like I've said a version of this on other podcasts as I get older, the trope of my dad or my husband or my wife works all the time and it's affecting our relationship. I have a harder time. Um, I have a harder time sympathizing with, cause as someone who works a lot, you work a lot. Like, I don't know, you got to make a living, right? It's like this right, thing right. of just kind of like, and that's, that's not the healthiest opinion. I will fully acknowledge that, but I suppose it's one of those things where you just go like, I don't know, my dad worked a lot. Like, you know, me and my my brother and sister joke about a time where he was always taking overtime and he wasn't around all the time. And, he, you know, we'd see him on Sundays. Ha ha ha. But we love the guy. I mean, you right, know what I mean? right. Like right. he was great. He was a great dad. Right. You know, and so I feel it's like, like that's sort of the to your point earlier, that's sort of the, the reckoning that Brosnan comes to kind of right is like exactly is yeah. is like, hey, man, like this is hard let's, for me let's, too. And, exactly. I'm, and I'm trying to make it through it. And it's, yeah. and that, I will say to the movie's credit at the end, <laughs> uh, the guy, you know, Pattinson kind of is growing up and he's basically like, let me go for a breakfast meeting with my dad. Yeah. And we're going to, and we're going to hash all this shit out. But unfortunately what you then learn in one of the most egregious affected pushouts in the history of cinema is that the skyscraper his dad works in that he works at the very top of is the world trade center and their breakfast meeting is scheduled for september 11th 2001 yeah and, and the, the lead up to it his is, dad's late yeah and he's alone waiting for him in his office and the camera pushes out 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 and you see the two towers and I think you you find out the date like you know what like five his minutes, so his five si- his before. sister is in class school in school right, 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 right. and the teacher has just written the date on the board Tuesday September eleventh two thousand one and you're just like oh god and it's what's it's revealed in a way that the movie is so fucking proud of because the way the office is shot the entire time is you never see the windows. So you never, well, but you we never, know it's funny rewatching it though. And this is, and to your point, you were texting me about this. Yeah. Cause I, like I said, I gave this movie a positive review 10 years ago. It's weird how rewatching it. And it, this is 10 years ago, 10 years, but I obviously knew the twist. Of course, rewatching it, it becomes, at least in my opinion, more tasteless because yeah. Like even even what you're talking about, they don't show the windows, but you see the like the what would you even call it? The yeah, like, slits. the slits. Yeah. So because obviously the any you know anybody who's seen images of the twin towers, right? The design, and what they're the what what how they were designed, very thin, narrow windows, like very distinct, right? Like if you know, yeah. And so it it is a very specific. It's a very specific calculation, which makes it feel just more garish. And like it, 
it it, it serves I mean, I, I would be curious to hear or read, I guess, about what the thought process is behind it, because like it doesn't you could do literally anything else. Right. If the I, if but the, I'm sure it read great on the page, I guess so. But like it's different than like. Like you I wanna, mean, think about you want to make I a mean, 9-11 movie that's not a 9-11 movie like. 25th hour is an amazing 9-11 movie no right right, of course like and that's and that's almost and and granted obviously i'm comparing someone to like spike lee who's one of the greatest to ever do it right so it's it's different but just comparing the two like you're creating the atmosphere right like you're using it as a as a way to talk about specific tensions and things and whatever and this movie doesn't seem to want to be bothered by that it literally just wants to use it as this sort of like super dramatic window dressing for its tragedy the tragedy being obviously that like the minute at least the tragedy insofar as the characters are concerned the minute that pattinson starts to kind of reckon recognize some of his own faults and really starts to patch things up and do things differently he dies right tragically and you I could he could I, get hit by a car like he could there yeah, are, yeah. you know what i mean like there are a million and think, one ways you could do that I if that's how you wanted what to the do movie, it what fetters and calter and everybody who made it what they're trying to do and i and i understand this though i obviously don't think it works especially well what they're trying to basically you know and the title obviously of course being part of that remember me is like in these moments of unspeakable tragedy the way that we as humans survive is we come together like those sure. who live on in that un- indescribable loss we find a way and and in a lot of in many ways we become closer so obviously the epilogue of the movie is you know and this is of course you know very clear brosden's gonna become a better husband and a right. and a better father better to dad, the yeah. young daughter and 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 the death of Tyler and the tragedy of 9-11 is the impetus for that, which is terrible, but it's also something that you have to then acknowledge, right? And I so I get it. I like that I the Couldn't you the, just make something up though? Like and no, no, achieve I, no, the I, same I, effect. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm just right? I'm just saying like couldn't it just I, be like a fake plane crash or something like i like i just then but yo but then do you get on that blacklist though i'm not i mean well right that's that's what i was going to say before i feel like the only reason this was a blacklist script is because of the just stones to make it like didn't we just have didn't we just have people from the blacklist on cinephile game let's call them we did we'll we'll have to to talk to them about um but But, no but but yeah i mean look we don't need to you know go on and on about it it's 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 a bold choice I'm happy that Fetters is still writing. Um, I think, uh, you know, look, A Star is Born. Ultimately, Eric Roth ended up also doing passes on it. And he, you know, they both got nominated. So, like, um, that became a big property and got nominated for a million things. It was a huge hit. So, obviously, Fetters will keep writing. And I think that's great. And Alan Coulter has has kept directing. Um, not not a lot of features, notably, but he was always more in TV anyway. So he's he's still working. So, and obviously, you know, everybody involved has nobody was like ousted because of the movie or anything, and it, and it did fine uh, for all involved. But yeah, I just think it's one of those things. It's a bold choice, and yes. you know, garish yeah. garish is a word 
that's very appropriate as well. Um, and I think in, even when you're bringing it back to Pattinson, it speaks to he will become such a better performer. An interesting thing as we move on to Water for Elephants, because Water for Elephants is also basically received, it's a bit received a bit better than Remember Me, but middling reviews at best. Um, the critics, it's just funny to, to go back in time. I'm sure you had the same experience. <laughs> the critics like hated these kids. Yeah. In, like like Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, yeah. like they were just getting, they were kind of getting softly defended, right? Like, oh, they're charming, blah, blah, blah. But they were also just like, but these movies they're making, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's not, I mean, I, it's, it's funny because it's like, I feel like you always, we think about the movie stars we've had, right? And you just, you know, I guess to the point of our whole fucking podcast, right? Like nobody remembers some of the shit. Right. So like you, you only remember the good stuff. Right. So it's well, the yeah, kind nobody. Of re- of- no. Yeah. Like nobody. Like, for example, nobody remembers. I was just reading about this, you know, uh, last night. Nobody remembers. And this is going way back. You know, Beatty becomes an immediate star with Splendor in the Grass. But before Bonnie and Clyde, there's like seven years where he makes six movies that nobody sees. Right. 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 And some of them are OK. I've seen them. I mean, some of them are good. Some of them aren't as good. But like he was dead weight at the box office, like immediately, like it was like Splendor in the Grass. Holy shit. Who's this hunk? Natalie Wood, too. Right. She was a child star. But you know what I mean? And then it was like by Bonnie and Clyde, they were like, oh, is he even bankable? Right. Right. But now when you think about Warren Beatty, you don't even think about Mickey one or Lilith or right. Like, yeah. you only think about, okay, Bonnie and Clyde, holy shit, and then it's everything else, right? And it, So it, it's true. It's like Pattinson, it's the same thing. Pattinson, Stewart, 10 years on, they're the best they're they're the best of the generation right they're they're getting cool things made they're getting interesting things made you know they're making studio movies when they can um they're doing that for as long as they can and i think that's impressive critics are totally on their side now as they should be yeah right the lighthouse and clouds of sills maria and you know everything else and, it's, it's, and it's again impressive. it's important to highlight that like that doesn't necessarily mean that like because we like them now we have to go back and like you know I don't know if Twilight oh, need, no. like Twilight doesn't no. need a reappraisal, but it is just interesting to chart that kind of like just constant totally. swing and miss and maybe you hit a little bit and you and you weed it out somewhat. And and to your point, like as moving into Water for Elephants, like that this is sort of his sort of mini Titanic, like you mentioned, right? Like totally. I suppose Remember Me kind of is a little bit too, if you want to get like romantic tragedy about it well or whatever, remember but... me would be the romeo and juliet right. to his type. right if right, you're going right. leo if it's a leo comparison sure which like leo i don't think leo is necessary i've always kind of i remember even back when like twilight like came out right in like 08 09 thinking and i guess this is i, I i'm curious to see what you'd think about this about whether or not i was right but i remember thinking at the time that i was like oh he's he's johnny depp like Pattinson is Johnny Depp. Like he's the dude who's like everyone's thinks he's super pretty because he has really interesting bone structure and he's just going to but he's going to like more and more find himself in like weird stuff. Right. And like and like climb right. the ladder a little bit. I don't know. I think maybe that was like a 55 percent correct thing. Like I think I don't I still think it's a reasonable comparison, but um 
I do think part of that is because like a lot of those other movie stars of the previous generation, it is that thing of like Pattinson tried to like find auteurs and like find interesting directors to like keep things right keep things moving and, well, and, and they enabled him to yeah. do like weird performances and stuff outside of the larger stuff with this movie i think it's interesting because it is it does feel like him again he's like okay maybe i'm not james dean maybe i am leonardo dicaprio right like maybe this well, is the thing that i do right and but yeah i mean Lee, right i think leo also though obviously sought out really interesting filmmakers because Right after Titanic, other than Man in the Iron Mask, he's in a Woody Allen movie. Sure. He's in a Danny Boyle movie. And then he's in a Martin Scorsese movie. And then after that, it's totally just like I he guess, can pick who he wants to work with. I guess that's which the is thing, like, though. And this maybe harkens back to something that Gavin Mevius said on our Leonardo DiCaprio episode. But that the thing of he definitely is working with like interesting directors or like, you know, at certainly some of the greatest directors who have ever worked. Right. But the roles he's doing could be construed as being sort of still safe for like himself. I don't know. Yeah, where I do I, think, I think by comparison, I think both Pattinson and someone like Johnny Depp for for a portion of their careers definitely took swings that were just like weird yeah, fucking that, roles. You know that that I agree with. Yeah, like like the stuff that Pattinson ultimately takes is yeah. When you talk about like you know Depp you know, following the weirdness of Edward Scissorhands, which did do well with Arizona dream and right. Don Juan DeMarco and dead man. And right. Like where it's like, he's, you're just like, what's going on? You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? And like th for sure. And like, you know, if Nick of time is his, you know, yeah, pants and doing, I don't even know, kind of, you know, think of kind of a, some sort of, down the middle. I mean, life, I guess, is kind of, you know, it's funny. It's Anton Corbin who did Control who and did The American. So even Life, the James Dean movie um, that Pattinson did is, even though it's a pretty straightforward movie, ultimately, it's um, pretty standard, but it is an interesting director at the time, at least. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess in that way, there is a depth comparison that's totally accurate. But Water for Elephants, um, do you want to tell us what it's about? I said before, it's Sarah Gruen wrote the book. Yeah. It was a big, you know, a big book. My mom read it. My sister read it. I read it. You know what I mean? It yeah, was like, it's a, so it was it's around. A, basically, it's a period romance. Uh, Patson plays Jacob Jankowski, who is a Cornell, uh, soon-to-be Cornell veterinary grad. And essentially both of his parents who are immigrants die in a car accident and he winds up kind of like just literally hopping a train because he just needs to like reset his life and they were kind of the only thing he had and so turns out the train that he hops on is a traveling circus uh so he falls in with the benzini brothers circus that is sort of ring led by christoph waltz uh, who plays bro you're gonna forget about the wraparound story with paul schneider and hal Holbrook? no no i was gonna get that. hang on i was gonna get <laughs> I'm that kidding, i'm just kidding uh, yeah it's it is okay so uh so he <laughs> so he gets sort of roped into this circus uh by happenstance winds up not really proving to be very useful but maintains favor with uh christoph waltz to keep him on because he reveals that he is a court, you know, he calls himself a Cornell grad and 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 a vet, so he 
he sort of pitches himself as an Ivy League vet that they can have on staff, right? And so Christoph Waltz, who's obviously, you know, sort of a uh, a shrewd businessman to some degree, um, sees it as an opportunity, decides to keep him on. Uh, Christoph Waltz's wife, who is Reese Witherspoon, uh, her name is Marlena, she is essentially his star attraction with this uh, – this white horse that they have uh sort of in their care as it were um and the horse basically has uh some physical problems that pattinson points out and winds up having to uh sort of euthanize essentially so they wind up getting an elephant named rosie that had previously run away uh, and sort of utilizing that in their new sort of central act. Meanwhile, as this goes on, Pattinson and Marlena, uh, Jacob and Marlena, I should say, uh, basically engage in some flirtation. And as they get to know each other sort of while they're training the elephant, they fall in love. Love triangle ensues as Waltz sort of begins to suspect them more and more. Um and that's sort of the the kind of the Titanic of it all, as it were, with with, you know, uh, two different people from different parts of life that that should not necessarily be coming together. Um, and 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 that basically unfolds in in sort of the boiling point that you would imagine with Christoph Waltz sort of ultimately discovering it, keeping them apart um, and uh, and ultimately they're trying to uh, escape together. So that's basically the main crux. Yeah, it's a very the, of, it's a very pretty simple like yeah uh, a romance you know sort of old fashioned romance. Um, as Dan mentioned, it is bookended, but by what I think is weirdly the best part of the movie, <laughs> um, where uh, Hal Holbrook plays, he is essentially the Gloria Stewart to this movie, right? Like right. he plays the older version of Jacob of yeah. uh, recounting this story uh, to Paul Schneider, who operates a current sort of traveling circus, essentially. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because it is. I feel like I I don't recall necessarily the Titanic comparisons directly when the movie came out, but I feel like there must have been because it is the. Well, it's a it, way. I mean, the, this movie Water for Elephants cost thirty eight million, right? So just right. off the bat, it just cost way less, right? And so, it's not. I mean, it's it, that said, it's also not the same kind of movie, right? Like Titanic is uh, an event movie, right? It 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 you have that whole second half type thing right. that that water for elephants does not have right water for elephants is like you know it's it's not like somehow they you know they they wind up in chicago amidst the great chicago fire or something like that like do you know what i mean it's like there's no there's no gigantic sort of set piece sort of surrounding it all and that said no underlying tragedy that you are anticipating right like well yeah i mean in that first scene with holbrook and schneider they they acknowledge they're like oh 31 the benzini brothers you were there when that when that's the worst circus disaster that's the third worst circus disaster of all time were you there right. and Holbrook's like right in the middle of it and then he starts telling so you know that some shit's gonna go down but of course it's not it just at doesn't the level feel of, like it yeah it doesn't feel like no, it I mean, measures it's not up at the level, any... obviously of of, a, of you know the I mean the Titanic is the, 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 I mean, the, the prototypical disaster that people uh, yeah, use to reference disasters. The <laughs> uh, I mean that's what's funny, like you know whatever. But like 
people before Titanic was the movie, the event, even in the nineties was, was like, the thing. it was a yeah. famous thing. Yeah. It was like, yeah. you know, in the world and culture, it was this fucking very like, Oh my God, do you remember when that happened thing? So the movie only, I mean, obviously amplified at times, you know, 20, but regardless, this is of course fictionalized and, and everything. But, um, and not to say that this movie necessarily needs that, but there is an element of, I feel like by the time you get to the third act of the movie it feels like it's running on fumes a little bit like let me ask you a question is is the best performer in this movie rosie the elephant that's entirely possible (laughs) i and i'm not that's not even meant to be that's a dig on the human actors i've i work in production with connor i've worked with animals here and there throughout my career it is an art yeah like it is and i've never worked with like an elephant but like i was on a set with a bear i've had to find the right cats for things i've been on sets with dogs right so that type of thing like you know some reptiles so it's smaller potatoes obviously but even in that realm when you are trying to get a cat to you know to you know cats are obviously famously this is not going to surprise anybody hard to direct of course you know just because cats are cats but like we, I was on a set where we had to watch a bear destroy a kitchen and it was real, but it was even to safely allow it to happen was a half of a day. And even right. when it was happening, you were like, this is crazy. Like, you know what I mean? It was incredibly stressful, of course. So for all that being said, every time I see a performance like what the elephant is doing in this movie, I am like, wow, that is unbelievable right because yeah. you know the rosie is doing these tricks and i believe i think that i think the name of the actual elephant was ty or something like that but right and we I, I sort of glossed over the the crux of sort of the relationship of the elephant to the movie is the elephant's not really doing anything and uh waltz at 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 a certain point a scene that's like pretty effective at, at harrowing like just beats the shit out of the elephant right yeah and in taking care of her afterwards, Pattinson stumbles across the fact that she responds to commands in Polish. Like she is yeah. a fully trained elephant, uh, but responds to commands in Polish. So he's able to sort of feed her those commands. And it turns out she knows all these tricks. And Waltz right. obviously is ecstatic by that. Um, I do think Waltz also, you know, so it's funny, Waltz. You know, he comes out of the he comes out of nowhere in America, right. even though he's he had a very accomplished career in Europe, of course, sure. uh, mostly on TV, I believe. But in Glorious Bastards, it's all it's like it's like, whoa, who's this guy, right? And he ultimately wins an Oscar for that, and then he wins another Oscar for Django, and in between, he's in Water for Elephants, he's in stuff like The Green Hornet, if you remember, um, and a bunch of other things. And that thing happens that happens to actors like him. I feel like if you also you think about someone like Charlton Copley as well. Where it's like, it seems like they're doing the same thing all the time. Yeah. And they start getting criticized Which, for it. I will say in this movie, yeah. I do like, and I might be getting this wrong, but if I remember the book correctly, and I read it so, and you know, I read it, you know, whatever, ten years ago when it came out, I remember his character, the ringmaster, uh, the circus leader, August, in the book being just straight up fully sadistic, and. I do like how in moments in 
well, the movie, even though he is totally sadistic and he's throwing roustabouts off, literally off the trees yeah. to their death. And so, all this, just so he doesn't have know, to pay them, basically. Right. Yeah. So crazy, you know, this a movie that is an advertisement for unionizing labor, right? And everything. <laughs> right. Um, and ultimately, funny enough, they kind of do that at the end, which yeah. I loved. It was it basically becomes a made a want at the end for like 10 minutes. But um, <laughs> but um the part I liked in his performance was he also conveys this thing of he's a desperate man, right? Like yeah. he's in debt. He's trying to keep the circus afloat. He doesn't know what to do. He's in love with this woman, Marlena, who is clearly too good for him and is going to leave him any day. And he knows it deep down. And he's when he gets drunk enough, he reveals it to Jacob and he reveals it to Marlena. Yeah, and, he, there is a- and he's very worried. And you ha- it's, it's a very – that idea of like he is capitalism and that very – desperate american way where it's like this needs to work this needs to work i'll do whatever it takes for this to work and the sadism is very real but the motivation for it is also driven just by this very american it's the depression yeah you know he's competing against ringling brothers bah, bah, bah. it's this i it, think that was cool yeah it's built uh, yeah i i would agree because i that was the one thing i kind of noted re-watching the movie is that i remember totally being one of those people like oh christoph waltz is doing the christoph waltz role but like he's fine whatever right and he's i mean it's not like you know god's gift to performances or anything like that but it is definitely a little more uh textured right then 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 i remember it being with that sort of it you realize that it is all built on this thin thread of like crumbling crippling insecurity right and like so and that sort of seeps through and those cracks show a little bit um in certain scenes and so that's yeah that's definitely interesting as it relates to pattinson i don't it it's a little tough because he just i liked him less than i did nine years ago yeah i kind of agree mostly i think part of it is nine years ago when i watched this movie and uh we haven't said the word yet but we'll say now i mean this movie is is mechacore right is dan mechacore oh, yeah, right yeah, 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 hundred percent right hundred percent um and i still think i admire the movie on that level of like i i like its palette i like its big sweeping romance uh even if it's not particularly effective and i think that up on the rewatch is even just more apparent to me is that he i think when i first saw the movie i really went to bat for it because i also was like no see he's like good right like he can like do other things and whatever and it's not like i don't think it's a particularly bad performance necessarily it is just no, kind of no. it is sort of just so right is it is there is nothing i especially having seen what he can bring to a role um he's just not the right actor for it like it could have been i think it could have been frankly anybody and also reese is fine in it but she feels a little miscast as well where it's not an age thing or anything like that not even close but but he sort of almost tries to play it like it is which i think is kind of interesting yeah for me it was more like you know her name's marlena um you almost want it to be more of a uh what's the name of the accent, the Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn accent. Like a transatlantic Yeah, type. like you yeah. want, you almost want it to be, and I don't even know if this actor exists, honestly, but right. you want it to be like a transatlantic performance. Like, like I'm probably thinking of it just because of the name, but like Marlena Dietrich, yeah. right, from a million years well, ago. The, yeah, yeah, Like, And I think- You know, there's like a spunk and there's like yeah. a knowingness to Dietrich that at least when they made the movie, you know, in 2011, I don't think it's quite there with Witherspoon. He, and it's like that was a little bit of rewatching was a little bit of a bummer. There's also a couple of lines that just fall like duds. Like 
and the biggest one and tell me if you agree and i love the gravenes like i love the fisher king i love a lot of what he's done but like and this i don't even know this might have been in the book i cannot remember but and it was this was in every trailer and you know the star church out there i got nothing just like everybody else you're a beautiful woman you deserve a beautiful life Solars to it. <laughs> like, yeah. you're, you're a beautiful, beautiful woman, woman, you deserve, deserve a beautiful, beautiful life. Yeah. <laughs> now, first of all, the, with the implication there being if you're an ugly woman, right, you right. deserve, it's, like, you could, you, like, that, I think that's the other thing, right? Like, with this movie, if you're going to make the Titanic comparison, yeah. is the brilliance of Titanic is is in sort of it's knowing like it knows what it is the entire time so like right it's the reason the billy zane performance has aged like wine because you're like oh this like this dude has locked into the, what this movie is right it's hammy he's chewing up scenery but it totally fits and you kind of get that waltz is doing that here too and he feels appropriate for the movie like it's it's not like he doesn't know what movie he's in but, Picasso, who is he? Is he a passenger? <laughs> but to your point about uh, Reese, I think she's fine. And I do think that her being notably older than Pattinson make, adds a layer to the movie that is interesting, right? Like the idea that he sort of wants to rescue this woman from this life uh, that she has lived. It's not like something, it's not like he's trying to rescue her, this younger woman from something that she has yet to experience. Right. A la right, Titanic. Right. right. It is, it's almost, you know, it, it, it would be like if Jack showed up 10 years later and met Rose right. and she was just fully in it. Right. Um, and that adds an interesting layer to it. I don't think the movie really capitalizes enough on that subtext, uh, in a way that would make it super interesting, but it's definitely there with her casting specifically. Like I know that at one point um, it was going to be Scarlett Johansson, which may have led to kind of the type of performance that you're talking about and maybe would have given, well, yeah, given the movie Johansson a little bit of verve and snap yeah, to she it. She has a little bit more of that old Hollywood, yeah. you know, um, yeah. Sharpness that, that, to her that, that, yeah. Like yeah. spunk or for lack yeah. of a better word, you know, whatever you want to call that, you know, um, yeah, Scar. I mean, look, I think honestly, I think that's why Scarlett Johansson has had the career she's had because right. she really does exhibit whatever that old Hollywood yeah. thing and is. And it's not to say that a lot obviously of Reese isn't a super capable movie star. It's more just to say that like, she just, I feel like she doesn't fit enough in the period setting. Number one, she's a, to me, she's a little bit too modern of an actor. Um, sure. That sure. Might, that might be a yeah, part the of Tom, it too. The Tom Cruise last samurai problem. Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. And so I think that might be part of it too. But um, I think the other part of it, and this is not to do with Reese Witherspoon on her own, but more, I just think they don't have amazing chemistry. And I think yeah. it. I don't I think, think it's, it's not fine. the it's not the it's worst fine. in the world, right? Like it's yeah. passable. And again, I don't even really even rewatching it. Like I don't hate this movie. I just kind of like it a little bit less than I did. Um, because there are, I sort of admire the spirit of this movie in that uh, in in that regard. But um, I just, yeah, they just don't to me have 
you know, they just don't have the the right amount of chemistry. I you, I've, I've you brought just, this up a you, lot, I think. But you, hang on, you just reminded me mm. of the one of the greatest lines from one of the greatest movies ever. Um, they came together where oh. Paul Rudd <laughs> says to Kobe Smulders, "I love you," and she's like, "I admire, I your, admire spirit. your spirit." Yeah, it's great. <laughs> they came together, a modern masterpiece. Um, great movie. Sorry, Coke. No, no, no. Uh, and again, it's it's sort of unfair to pluck pluck a, a studio pairing that came uh way later right but like imagine even if you wanted sort of glossy studio actors imagine taking chris pine and gal gadot from wonder woman and putting them in this movie and like with, yes. with that level of chemistry yes. and charm yeah gal gadot uh, gal gadot would have been a great perfect marlena perfect. yeah like both of them, right? Like he would have. Yeah, that's actually there's enough of sort of the affability. I think the problem here. That's a great. With, uh, yeah. With, with, and I say that too, because I'm a big fan of Chris Pine. I would gladly watch. Like you could almost take Chris Pine and replace him as the lead in almost anything. And I would be satisfied. But that that aside, like I think the thing with Pattinson's performance is he's not. And not that he not that the character's written this way. So it's not really his fault. But like. He's not Jack Dawson. You know what I mean? Like he's there's not really this affability to him uh, that maybe you might expect from this kind of role. And he still holds on to kind of that pent up, you know, James Deeney kind of uh, yes. aggression that that he exhibits in Remember Me. I think it, it is of each of the movies we're going to talk about. He gets better every time. Right. So it's, I would agree. It I is something agree. it is some and it's to his credit. You know, it, it speaks it, to his career. Yeah. Yeah. And you can and you can certainly just you can see him learning and 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 picking up things and, and learning like what not to do and getting rid of certain things. And that that James Deaniness, uh, uh, that quality, that sort of clenched fist uh, performance type thing. Yeah. Furrowed he, brow. Yeah. He sort of he sort of lets that go, which is a little funny when you consider i'm i'm it's one of the things that makes me super curious to see what he's gonna do with bruce wayne uh because i think one of the most interesting things that someone like say keaton brought to bruce wayne is that he just seemed like a weirdo right and like and and uh and i think yeah how weird is pattinson gonna be and i think that's you know that's certainly an intriguing, exciting. It's exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting prospect. Um, um, as, yeah, that, that, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say, like, you know, when the movie wraps itself up, it it does so in a also a very Titanic fashion. It it sort of shows the life that that follows after in black and white photography. Um, and again, we it's a, a button goes on it with Holbrook uh, with a moment that I also think is really interesting. I noted when I was watching it, the most surprising thing to me while watching this movie or rewatching this movie is that I, I, Hal Holbrook is at least as of this recording still alive. Yeah, 95, insane. 95. Insane. I think he, it's great casting. Cause I think again, yeah. it, it does a lot of heavy lifting. Um, this movie, and you know, just for context, Water for Elephants came out right following his nomination for Into the Wilds, mm. which he's got a very lovely little performance in, um, if you remember that movie, uh, which that bus, uh, the Christmas, is it Chris McCandless, right? Uh, that bus. Oh, yeah. The yeah. magic bus yeah. uh, got taken away, got taken away finally by the government. 
Um, and I did not realize that a lot of people over the years have died trying to get to that bus. Did oh, you know? really? It's kind of sad. Anyway, um, so yeah, what if elephants? If at the very least, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a respectable movie, and will make you want to rewatch Titanic. Um, our third <laughs> movie, Queen of the Desert. We're not going to spend a lot of time on because, as we found out, uh, Pattinson is not in a whole lot of it. Yeah, I had not. I, I had not seen this movie. Had you? Yeah, no, I had not. Had okay. you, did you? Did you watch it though? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so. Werner Herzog directed this. Um, it came out, like I said, it premiered at Berlin in 2015 to tepid reviews and then ultimately came out in 2017, like barely. It was a huge, huge flop. Um, and I think just in general, a thing that's important to note that kind of makes some of the B-side choices a little funny for this episode, Remember Me does okay. Water for Elephants does okay. and But they're B-sides because nobody remembers them fine. And What's they are funny sort of, is, they're peppered in among his his Twilight run, where at yes. least financially speaking, knocking right. it out of the park. Right? But what's funny is if you look at his filmography, and I'll tell you, listener, go do this. He has not made a lot of financially successful movies outside of the Twilight movies. It is very funny. Yeah. Now, obviously, The Lighthouse did well enough. Um, Especially for a movie of its kind. Yeah, for sure. it did yeah. fine. It did fine. And, and obviously it was, you know, uh, Defoe got nominated, right? So it's yeah. like, it got a lot of attention. So that's great. And, you know, High Life did did not do well at all, but is, you know, a well, well-liked well movie. So he has that. But like Lost City of Z, right, yeah. did, did not do well, right? Life didn't come out, right? Queen of the Desert, where he plays T. Lawrence, which is about Gertrude Bell starring uh, Nicole Kidman, cost... And this is true. I just want to make sure I get this right. It cost, it, I believe, $30 million. Yes, $36 million and made basically two. Okay, so big flop from two Herzog. Dollars. Two, two dollars. Two dollars, exactly. Two dollars. So it's about Gertrude Bell, who if you don't know her, she was an English adventure traveler, explorer, who became very um, crucial in the policy and map making that happened in the early 1900s uh, of what is kind of now the modern state of Iraq and the greater Middle East. She was a very outspoken woman of the time who um, basically fucked off to Tehran um, and had a, had a romance with a young man who in this movie is played by James Franco in a role that was supposed to be played by Jude Law, right, which, which oh God, is I a wish, bummer. And, um, and that ended in tragedy, but she stayed in the Middle East and ultimately befriended the Bedouins and the other tribes that were there. And to this day, and the movie says this, and I, I, I kind of corroborated it here and there. This is, I think, true. To this day, um, the people in that region uh, kind of count her as the one foreigner who knew them best, which... For better or worse, I think is interesting. Um, you know, people call her the female Lawrence of Arabia, right? And obviously T. Lawrence is Lawrence of Arabia, David Lean movie from 62, you know. Um, Pattinson plays that character. And what I like, so here's the thing. This movie has, like I said, tepid response. N- nobody talks about it. I think it's it was a big flop. People basically disregard it in in Herzog's oeuvre, right? People yeah, are just kind of yeah, sure. like people are just like whatever. I like this movie. I I I was kind of surprised how much I was 
enraptured in the movie. It looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's shot by Peter Zeitlinger, who's filmed Rescue Dawn and a bunch of other movies for Herzog, a lot of his recent docs. Um, Franco in the first half of the movie is limited, but he's not unwatchable, right? He's doing a half accent situation. Yeah. It's, it's which is fine. And I, I will say this about his performance in that part of the movie. Um, it, I mean, I wish it, I read the, so I actually read like the trivia page for this movie before like starting to watch it. Um, so I knew about the Jude Law thing that you mentioned, like, and so I just couldn't help, but like the entire time, and I'm not even trying to dig James Franco. It's just uh, the entire time. I just kept thinking like, oh God, I wish this was Jude right. Law, but, um, he's, yeah, I don't know. He's fine. You have to wonder if it's something where it was going to be Jude Law and he couldn't do it and Franco comes in and does it, you have to wonder if maybe the accent thing is just like a not enough time thing. You know, like he just like... Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I, I mean, I would, bet, I, would, I would bet you that is what it is. Right. I'll say this. Damian Lewis in the back half of this movie plays Charles Dottie Wiley, who had a kind of correspondence with Gertrude Bell in towards the end of his life um, from 1913 to 1915. I found Damian Lewis very engaging and i yeah, was kind I, of like it's he's good on screen because there is yeah. an element of uh i think maybe and maybe this is just his look uh kind of thing there is a sort of seeming duplicitousness to to him and also to james franco that i kind of liked uh in this movie and that like the men like you're just like like she's very uh particularly you know losing the james franco character in her life essentially prompts her to be very cautious about her relationships with men moving forward. Right. It kind of, it kind of messes her up in that regard um, to the point where she tells, when she tells Damien Lewis about it, she is sort of like, I will just not, I'll never be with another man. Right. Like I just yeah. couldn't really handle it. Right. Yeah. And it's, it, it is interesting because I think I, you know, I don't know if this is something that Herzog, does intentionally i would imagine he does because you know he's one of the greatest directors ever right but uh it is that thing of you just never know i feel like if damian lewis is like completely on the level necessarily or if he's gonna right. like you know deliberately fuck her over at some point um and it's played really interestingly and that part of the movie i found engaging as far as pattinson is concerned I really dug the performance, his performance. Uh, well, it's a, it's a knowing, it's a knowing, and uh, you know, for, this is a, a bit too garish for what it is, but in a way, and this is a very Herzog-y thing, it, you, you'll probably agree with me. Yeah. It is a knowing fuck you to Lawrence of Arabia. No, right, right? exactly. And in the, mo the movie itself is like, that. is that, right? Like it's an Which interesting. Is, I, that's why yeah one of the reasons why i was like oh this should get a little bit more respect yeah, like it's i think you run into this thing with directors like a herzog who is a living legend where it's like you know you call it, quote unquote minor herzog okay fine but it's one of those things where it's like that still means that Werner herzog directed this right. movie yeah, yeah. You know yeah. I mean? no like, it's i i kind of agree with you know, I had, I had not seen this movie. Its reputation, kind of going into it when we were planning on doing this episode, was that was that it was boring, right? And I I'm kind of halfway to where you are, where like I was kind of bored by the movie, and I do yeah. wonder if it, I I do wonder what it looks like 
in the hands of a different filmmaker if that changes it from a narrative standpoint i was super or by younger herzog right 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 and i from a narrative standpoint i was super engaged so like that kind of kept me going with this movie and i really liked that sort of uh that sort of bucking of the peter o'toole and david lean that the movie is doing a little bit uh, not a little bit, a lot, right? Like not just with the Pattinson character and the performance, but just in the narrative of the movie, right? There is a sort of, and I think this is where the movie kind of gets a little muddled, but there is a sort of anti-colonialist uh, bent that the movie takes on sort of as it should, right? That's sort of the, <laughs> given the uh, the contemporary nature of the movie, the the angle you would want to take on it. Um but it is a little weird because I still think it has some of that uh, white savior is not the word, but it is a little it's it is that weird thing of like you're you're still well, you're still telling the story of through Richard the Bell. lens. Yeah. Through the lens of, of yeah. Gertrude Bell, who was still doing this stuff on behalf of the British Empire. Right. And so and I don't the one thing I that kind of bugged me about the movie is I don't think it it, it said it, it's something I think it says, but doesn't show very well is that conflict between those two things of her sort of doing these things. Um, and she seems to be doing them for herself and she's very vocal about that, right? Like that it's not necessarily uh, for queen and country as it were, but it, it, there is a weird, I think because of the racial politics of it, there is sort of a weird lack of awareness. Well, also he that frames it. So yeah, the movie starts in 1914 where they, all these men are like, who can negotiate with these locals and how we're going to dictate where these borders are. Yeah. And they all begrudgingly admit Gertrude Bell's the person to right. do it. And then we track back 12 years and the story that is the movie in which she like becomes the queen of the desert, quote unquote, is before that. So like she's gone out on her own British government be damned and befriends these people on her own mm. accord. And then ultimately is brought into the full fold because of those relationships. So yeah, you're right. Like Herzog kind of plays fast and loose with it because you know that ultimately she is going to serve the empire. Right. But you kind of don't see that part. And then, and then even at the end, you have these, for me, just to kind of agree with you, you have these two conflicting moments where, um, T. Lawrence Robert Pattinson delivers this great moment, this great quote, which is a Thomas Jefferson quote. He says to Gertrude Bell, and they're basically talking about the fact that Gertrude Bell is basically like Britain needs to realize that they cannot colonize these places for much longer and they need to leave. Gertrude, we have to play that game. Faisal is shrewd, is cunning, it's ruthless. But he seems to be the right one for this time in history. I mean, let's be sincere. It's dangerous to be sincere, unless you're also stupid. England needs to get out of its colonies sooner rather than later. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. And that is something that Thomas Jefferson wrote, which you can read. Ta-Nehisi Coates has referenced it in his writings and stuff, and obviously it's a pretty well-known quote. 
it's so beautifully delivered in this movie and it's such a Werner Herzog, Agira type of a thing sure. where you're like, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's like, and that quote, think about right now, right now in the US in 2020. I mean, I could yeah. say that and you would, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. I mean, that's such a beautifully worded, patriotic, you know, dissidence is patriotic type of a thing. But then, but then she has this weird moment where she's talking to the two men who will ultimately become these kings of these separate kingdoms and she basically says a version of like, they're like, why do you love us so much when you're this British white woman? And she basically says, because my buddy who has a great family and has been good to me for all my life, I love him. So that's why I love you. So she basically right. says a version of like, yeah, I have a brown friend, you know? And well, it's like, right, right. And it's and like, it's, wait and a minute, And it's that, it's a character that's fulfilling the role of like the loyal servant. So it's a little, it's a little yeah, weird. That's weird. That's yeah, weird. There's things in the movie that are a little weird because they uphold some of the tropes that might feel a little icky while tearing down some others um, in, in a way that, that Herzog probably thinks is super interesting and pro progressive. And maybe it is. It's just sort of kind of he sort of does himself dirty by kind of you know uh and and it's a i, I would imagine if you're going to make a movie about her you have to include all of that so it's it, it's a weird needle the thread i suppose and i just don't know ultimately how much he cares about threading it as interestingly and easy and as evenly as possible but um which to your point, like if, if, if it's made by a younger Herzog, what does this movie look like? Right. Or, and I can't even, I mean, I, I struggle to think of like who, who else could have directed this movie that would have like handled it in a way that, that we're kind of talking about. It, well, like a Lynn Ramsey or sure, something, you sure, know, could have, right. could have really like burnt earth type of stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, the cool, the, the most interesting parts of this movie, and then we can move on, you know, and it's funny, Damsel, our final movie, there's similar elements in terms of nature versus man. And of course, Herzog is all about that, right? Which is something I love where like there are these shots in Queen of the Desert that are unbelievable yeah. that do speak to this idea of like what we must never forget and what his characters can never forget. And this is basically alive in all of his movies in documentaries and features is the earth does not care about you yeah. and the earth will survive and the earth will win. Right. And this yeah. idea of like Herzog's fascination with people, but indirect parallel to the earth they are living in. So yeah, and, I mean, and, there and, are these, and, and oftentimes like conflict with, right. Like not even just of parallel. Course, but, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, so those are not surprisingly the most affecting parts of the movie. Well, I'll end with this just to, Damien Lewis's character says another quote, which I love, which is attributed to Pierre Cornet, who is a guy who lived in the 1600s. He was a French dramatist. And I just have been thinking about this quote ever since I stopped watching the movie. Love is a tyrant sparing none. Ooh, brutal. That is a great Didn't, quote. Uh, the French, man, they know well, about but love. It, that's the same person who also wrote, um, you're a beautiful woman, you deserve a beautiful life. It's true. Right. Cornet's, <laughs> Cornet's credited with, with that as well. Um, um, so I would say, so I would just say Queen of the Desert, I thought was worth the time. I think I liked it a bit more than you. I, I enjoyed it. So I would say if you want to seek it out, if for no other reason, the story of Gertrude Bell is very interesting. Um, but generally speaking, again, as it pertains to Pattinson, I think he's pretty good in the movie. I think he knows what he's doing insofar as, like you said, sort of that middle finger to Peter O'Toole. Uh, or at least the idea of that performance and that character that has been built up. Funny, th fun little thing about it is 
uh, Herzog wanted Pattinson because he liked the idea of someone who is mature, but like still boyish and uh, and had a sort of it kind of a sort of intelligence about him, but also like a distinct arrogance. Um, and I think uh, I think that definitely comes across with Pattinson in the way that he plays it. And, and I th- Pattinson Pattinson does these smaller roles pretty commonly like he's in childhood of a leader which mm-hmm. i actually have not seen but i know he's got a kind of a small role in that that's uh you know as i gather rather affecting so like and even lost city of z he's playing second fiddle to uh charlie hunnam but it's a very effective piece so one of the things you can say about Pattinson is he is um very willing to take the role that's not necessarily the lead role if he thinks it's interesting yeah he can bring something to it which i think is important even something uh, like bringing it a little further forward like even something like uh the king right right which, right. One, which a one scene performance right right yeah. right or uh, or even for, uh you know the rover right which uh which is a great movie if you have not seen it it's a really great robert pattinson performance actually too he's uh he's not in a decent i guess a good amount of it but he is uh quite good in that as well to your point dan he he kind of shows up in in in, i think a more supporting capacity uh as opposed to a leading man and i think what's interesting about that is that not unlike uh what we talked about with sorcia ronan is that might not be a traditional movie star in the sense of the word of like you're banking on them and they're bringing in millions of dollars or whatever, but certainly a value proposition, right? Yeah. Like certainly, like you see that a he's value in something, yeah, 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 and 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 you and you see you see that he's in something and it automatically sort of seems more interesting than it may have otherwise felt. Um, and a couple of these movies that he does in between Queen of the Desert and and uh, our last B side Damsel are like that in that. You know, he pops into Anton Corbin's life, right? Again, not in the role that you think he would play, which is James Dean, right? He plays sort of co-lead with Dane DeHaan's James Dean as Dennis Stock. And it's a really measured performance from him, I think. It's pretty even-handed. It's akin maybe to something like uh, Water for Elephants, but again, just more more honed in and and a little bit sharper. And I think he kind of is able to play that that sort of straight down the middle normie performance pretty effectively the movie itself you know i do not think is particularly amazing but um again if you're someone who likes his work it might be worth taking a look at uh just to maybe see him play somebody who's a little bit more uh straightforward and down the middle so that was 2015 and then he does he done he does lost city of z right he does good time, right? Which I think kind of really officially solidifies him as like, oh no, like we love Robert Pattinson. He is a good right. Uh, good uh, time, and I, we should say good time did did pretty well. Yeah, for what yeah. It was. and I think not unlike the lighthouse, it is a you know sm- for what it is, it it, it wound up kind of being a, a little hit. And and again, I think uh, I remember even when good time, like I like good time a lot. Obviously, uh, I think it's uh, it's definitely one of his best performances. Um, but I, I remember even me pitching that movie to people and being like, oh yeah, no, no, it's, uh, Robert Pattinson is in it, you know, and people being like, oh, and I'd be like, no, 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 it's like really good. And right. And then they would watch it and be like, oh no, he, so he's like really good. And I, I think he was always, I think for maybe like film, film Twitter already knew he was a, a good actor, right. Or say a better actor than Twilight would suggest. But I feel like 
good time comes around and re- I think really solidifies like the idea of him as a uh, as a value add for for anything he's attached to. And then, and then in 2018, he does Damsel, which is yeah. a, Z- a Zellner Brothers movie. Uh, they made uh, a movie called Kamiko the Treasure Hunter uh, with Rinko Kikuchi, which very is good, a good. very good movie. Um, seek that out if you can. And actually was the thing that really kind of sought him to come around to this movie because he read the script and passed on it because he didn't think it could get made. Right. He just saw no world where anybody would make it. Um, and then he wound up seeing Kamiko really loving it and then wanting to find out who directed it and then finding out that it was the people who had, had handed him damsel. Um, he is essentially, you know, I guess you would call him strong supporting in this movie, co-lead. Well, I mean, yeah, we don't want to give it too much away. Basically, it's it's him and Mia Wasikowska and the and opening Ri- scene uh, is... Richard Zellner, is that? Oh, sorry, Nathan Zellner. I apologize. Yeah. So it opens with Robert Foster, RIP. Um, he's a pastor. They're waiting for like a carriage in the middle of nowhere and... Um, Nathan Zellner is sitting next to him and he's just somebody looking for a fresh start and essentially fosters like, fuck it. This is the end of my life. I'm not waiting for another carriage. I'm out. It's a, he really, takes off it's his, a really great it's funny scene. He uh, takes off his clothes and he just like walks into the desert to die. And basically the, from there on, Nathan Zellner takes the pastor's clothes and is then presumed to be a pastor, right? And so then the story proper becomes- Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, Go I got mixed up. Nathan is the brother who shows up later, and we won't. Okay, yeah. Sorry, Nathan so, Zellner is shows up later. David Zellner okay. is the uh, is the pastor. So David yeah. Zellner is the pastor we're talking about. So then, basically, this guy Samuel, who's Robert Pattinson, he shows up on shore with a mini horse named <laughs> Butterscotch in tow, and he super has- effective visual gag. Great. Basically, throughout the whole movie, like it does yeah. nothing. Like you know what I mean? It, it, there's no active thing that it it relates to in the plot really but it well uh, it's, it sort so of basically does. yeah sam samuel has sought out the services of this pastor who's not really a pastor i think it's pastor henry right yeah to parson henry is what parson henry yeah. sorry parson henry um who who he's like i my bride has been kidnapped and my bride-to-be has been kidnapped penelope I need to save her. And then the minute I save her, I want to get married to her. So you're going to come with me on this journey to marry us. And because it's dangerous, I'll double your fee, blah, blah, blah. And they go on this adventure into the American West, essentially. Right. Yeah. And then Do they ever, they don't specify like what territory no, but they're in or anything yeah, like that. Right? I mean, yeah. they shot the film in Utah. Right. Yeah. So, it, you know, I think yeah, it could very well be, you know, in Utah. And, mm-hmm. um, they, um, Though Utah's landlocked, so I mean, however he it took to get there, but and the miniature horse is a wedding present for Penelope. That's yeah. what we're meant to believe. And the only connection between them is the opening, the opening shot of the movie is them at like a Heaven's Gate, you know, ball yeah, dance. dance, yeah. And they seem to be having fun. And yeah. the music in this movie it should be said is very, very good. Yeah, and wonderful. so. They go on this adventure. They run into this guy um, who all ends up falling off a cliff. And that's how you learn about the kidnapping. And then basically, and if you've seen Kamiko, you know this about the Zelda brothers. 
they flip the narrative. So the thing you think you're watching basically becomes this other thing. Yeah. And by the time Mia Wasikowska Penelope comes into the picture, you're like, and you, I mean, you should be laughing because this is a comedy. No, it is. Right? And, so, it's, and look, it's billed as a comedy. It's a thousand percent a comedy. It, you know, yeah. I don't even want it. Again. Patson has a ridiculous accent. Yeah, he is Very so good. terrific in this movie. Like, so I, I think most people would probably say Good Time is his best performance. And that is totally arguable, I guess. For me personally, uh, this is my favorite performance he's ever given. It's Yeah, this is up there. I So don't you, isn't this funny? Don't you think, I mean, this kind of maybe will give a little bit away, but whatever. Don't you think this is like a great toxic masculinity comedy? Oh, yeah, I mean, that is the movie, I mean, right? Like it, that is. And, and like, and, and what yeah. I'll say this, what's a little frustrating for me because people have just forgotten about this movie yeah. is like. In, in our current moment, which this movie only came out two years ago, but in our current moment, it's like people it, should be loving this movie a, no, because if a, it really touches on this exact yeah, there are, shitty it, thing. It, like the latitude men are given to be total pieces of shit. Like yeah. whether it's in the American and, West or right now and, or and, and that in all of its forms, every it's such a – I think such a well-crafted movie because every male character in this movie embodies some facet – of masculinity toxic or otherwise right and so it's this you're you're given this this sort of um allegory for masculinity and everyone's represent meant to represent some facet of that and it's it's like pattinson leaned he could it's such a wonderfully committed performance like he knows exactly what the movie is um and he knows exactly why he is the person that needs to be in that role and well and also yeah and then but then what's what's equally brilliant though is then wasakaska it's like she knows the movie she's in and her character just doesn't want to be in that movie yeah yeah so it's, so it's what's sort so of great about the second half is she's like no no i don't want to be in this stupid movie this is annoying i'm tired of these men trying to save me right like just yeah like enough 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 and it's like it's it's such a great and it's funny because even rewatching it, I, and this happened to me at Eccles. Um, this happened to me at Eccles, and I remember I I don't even I I remember that this being one of the Sundance movies where I feel like me and Jordan were like laughing so hard, and you know Eccles is the huge theater, so yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thousand people, it felt like we're just kind of like okay, right? But like, I, we were like, this think, is great. What I think. But what I, but just to finish my thought, mm-hmm. what I was going to say is what, what what I love is the same thing happened to me on a rewatch, which is when you get to the halfway point where things kind of shift, I was kind of getting a little like, oh, yeah, this is good. I remember liking it more, but I do like it. And then what happens happens. And then just like the first time I was like, oh, no, no, I love this. Yeah, I forgot. It's so, then, it's so smart. Yeah, it's so smart. It's very good. And obviously – Coen brother comparisons are there for a few different reasons, right? Yeah, that was very common at the time. You know, and it and I, they're not unwarranted. I don't even think the Zellner brothers would say they're unwarranted because they fucking made a movie that is essentially a sequel to a Coen brothers movie in some regard, right? Or like a you know, uh, Kamiko the Treasure Hunter. If you're not familiar with it, is all right. Totally is, is direct, yeah, directly right, right. relates to the film Fargo, right? So it uh, it's. It, 
even they know it to a degree. And, but I don't, I, I feel like I, I feel like maybe some of those people in the theater at Sundance stand who weren't laughing probably had that kind of thing in the back of their head where it's like, eh, it's like not, it's like a not Coen brothers movie. Right. And I feel like maybe that might be part of the reaction to it. Cause I like, but I just feel like that's a, com- a huge compliment because it's like, yeah, it, I, I like I get the comparison and it and it totally makes sense, but it is just like is, you know, it's good Cone Brothers if it's not the Cone Brothers. Make, like, do you know what well, I mean? Also, like, but, it's, but I but also what's funny is I, I get to your point, I get the Cone Brothers comparison, but then I also bristle at it like at a larger viewpoint because it's also so much different in so many ways because it's the Cone Brothers who are masters, obviously their stuff is very quick. Um, and I think that's, and that's a compliment or an observation more than anything. Um, their stuff moves very quick, which I might speak to their commercial viability, you know, because I think pace is important. And I Mm. think my, my argument or my assertion of why maybe damsel kind of will just live on Hulu as kind of a forgotten, very good movie is because it is slow, right? There are Vista shots that linger forever. And, yeah, in that regard, you know, it might have a little bit more comparison to something like a movie we talked about, like a, a McCabe and Mrs. Miller or something like that. Right, like a, there, yeah. there's there's a laboriousness to to the atmosphere that is important. But then, the, but I would ne- but I would never say, oh, well, if you cut 15 minutes out, because that's just no, would no. totally ruin the whole tempo of the movie. So in that way, it's not like the Coen brothers because, you know, the Coens, it's the Coens. It's closer to, uh, Lubitsch and Sturges where it's like, let's, let's bop through this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's, there's like an old Hollywood language that they're operating in, which is lovely. This is not that like damsel is something else. So I think in that respect, maybe that's why it's a little bit harder to connect, but I guess, I mean, I don't have much more to say about the movie. As I agree with you, it's one of Pattinson's best performances. It's a shame not many more, not many people that have seen first, it. That first shot too is so just wonderful because, at least as it relates to him, you just you immediately, and this is to his credit, you know exactly the dude that you're dealing with in terms of just like he's just this dope. He's just this like bumbling dopey dude. For yeah, for me, for me, I remember even. <laughs> in the movie theater in Eccles when I realized I was going to really like the movie. He goes to the bar in the like shithole town yeah. when he, he lands yeah. and he, and he orders a Pilsner uh-huh. and, and the guy's like, we only have whiskey here. And they, and he, and he gives him the shot of whiskey and he, he like goes to, Just to shoot it, little... but it's, but it's really hot, you know, yeah. it's whiskey. And so he, then he like takes this, Little teeny sip, <laughs> and everybody is just looking at him. What's wrong? It's prime rock gut. It's fine. It's it's just me. Is you a pussy? Um, my stomach hits from time to time. Your stomach's a pussy. I guess that's what it boils down to. <laughs> His response to being called a pussy is perfect. And then, yeah. then this other guy, he's he like, a, you know, he a drunker. Is like, maybe I am. Like, I don't It's like, so you know. good. And, and it's, I remember just being in the theater being like, oh, 
let's do this. Well, and it's good because it it atmospherically introduces itself, right? And you're like, oh, okay, what? Like, if you were to walk into this movie cold, right? Yes, it introduces itself in a fashion that you're like, oh, okay, like, what am I watching here? And then as soon as, and then again, this is why I love the sight gag of the miniature horse. Because it is this immediate cue, right? Like he lets the minute he lets butterscotch out of the box, and you're just like, you're just like, oh, okay, I know what, okay, like I know exactly the vibe that this movie's going for, and um, and that continues into that scene as you kind of are really introduced to Pattinson with that bit with the whiskey because it's just you you almost expect him to feign some sort of tough guy thing. And to get his way either in or out of a fight kind of thing. And he instead just sort of diffuses it by just being like, yeah, yeah, I kind of am. I kind of am a pussy. Right. And like, you're like, oh, okay. Like here we are. And it, um, yeah, I don't know. I was really, I was enamored with it when I saw it. Uh, and I was thrilled to rewatch and find that it's like as good, if not better, because I think, the way the second half of the movie carries out having seen it and watching the way that that's teed up in different ways in the first half and just that shift in perspective um, is really, it's really definitely handled really well sort of constructed and uh, can't, can't Mia Wasikowska get like a bat girl. I don't know. Let's get her a big role. Yeah. She is. I, I don't know if she's necessarily undervalued again, maybe necessarily I like it could it's she's one of those actors that I think film Twitter knows how great she is. Right. And, you know, you look yeah. at you point to even just her supporting turns and something like only lovers left alive, which she literally, of course, like, she literally like breathes life into. I love I love that movie. Um, and she is well, one, one of the best things about it. Um and they're a good, they're a great pairing. Like I would watch them on. Oh my gosh, I would watch I them on screen together. Uh, now, can I ask a dumb question? Mm. Aren't they also both in the Cronenberg movie? Oh, they, they are, are right? actually. Yeah, they're both in Maps. Uh, Maps of the stars. To the stars. Yeah. yeah, we didn't even talk about sort of his Cronenberg collaborations. Which well, Cosmopolis yeah. um, is a book I love uh, by Don, Don Lula, who's, yeah. who's a writer I, I like a lot. Um, the movie I like. It's a. Uh, it's. Crone, it's it's a weird one. Um, I, I yeah, I don't even know. He, you know, he's a rich guy in a limo, and it shit gets weird, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> that's, that's and um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things in there. Cronenberg obviously is, is a very interesting director. Um, Maps and Stars, I'll admit, I have not actually seen uh, in full, so I I, I I meant to watch it before this, but I did not get around to it. But I know Mia is in that, along with John Cusack and Julian Moore and, and Robert Pattinson. Um. I mean, look, he's made a lot of interesting things. It's funny as we kind of move on to like, what do we want to see him in? I'm just, I was looking at his IMDb while you were finishing up. So Waiting for the Barbarians is a movie that's basically kind of out, not quite yet. Yeah. You know, as we're talking um, from the director of Embrace of the Serpent, which I mean, was a movie I liked a lot. Now, of course, because we live in a nightmare hellscape, this director is being accused of many horrible things. So that's uh, obviously terrible, and it obviously causes me to not necessarily want to rent right. for the Barbarians when it comes <laughs> right. out. What bums me out, and I didn't even really know this until recently, is Waiting for the Barbarians is based on the J.M. Coetze novel, which I loved. I read it in college, 
And I love that book. So now it's like, oh, I would love to watch that movie with Pattinson and Mark Rylance and Johnny Depp, I suppose, to a lesser extent, but still. And now it's I like, would be uh, curious about the outside of what you just mentioned with uh, sure, the, with director. the director. Yeah, sure. As far yeah. as that pairing, um, again, I'd be curious about it just because of what I thought all those years ago. You know what I mean? Like, just I'd be curious to see them on screen together just to see. Right, right, right. You know right, what right, I mean? Right. Uh, it's sort of a it's like a, Jan- it's like a Redford Pitt type thing, you know, like a, that yeah. kind of a generational thing but and you i don't know if you know this connor but jm Coetzee is a south african guy but he taught briefly at buffalo oh and was involved as a faculty member in protests in the late 60s early 70s that happened at buffalo because buffalo a lot of stuff happened back then and he i think ultimately had to leave the country because of that or other stuff oh i did not know and that and he he so this is the thing about me and connor went to suny buffalo they there are part there are dormitories in the north campus of the University of Buffalo that are designed that are riot proof, like assembly proof. Do you know about this, Connor? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So the north campus, like Fargo and whatever they were called, we would call them like the Lego Land because it was yeah, like yeah. the way they were designed. That is a architectural design to present to to architecturally prevent assemblies from gathering. And it was something that was after the 60s and the 70s. It was like a response to less public spaces that would allow students to protest. And so that we lived there. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I lived there. I don't know if you've I ever never lived did, up in there. But yeah, yeah. I, I but have like, friends who did. I always wondered why it was looked so weird and like kind of, it was like hard to navigate a little bit and whatever. And then if you read up on it, that's why. And, and it's just funny that the writer of this, you know, the book that became this movie, Coetzee, he was, you know, in some way a part of that. So just part of our personal life, whatever. But disappointingly, this adaptation made by obviously somebody who maybe is uh, a very terrible person. So um, he has that. And then he has, of course, the Batman we mentioned, which will come out at some point. And then, you know, I suppose most controversially tenant um yeah hey if you're listening maybe it's out maybe you're yeah i mean it's it's fascinating because i feel like he's he's yeah he's i mean two of the biggest movies right that he's ever been in oh sure yeah sure the batman and and tenant right so yeah sure you know i we we should talk real quick about how i do think it's sort of funny people have joked about this online uh if you've been privy to one of the theories about tenet is that it's about potentially about uh preventing 911 and I, it's a remember I, me sequel I, yeah i personally just fall into the category of like i don't know if i have enough of a dog in the fight with the movie to care about if that's what it's actually about and if it is what it's actually about it'd probably be terrible but i feel like i would love it just cuz it's like truly insane uh and 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 just weird that pattinson would be in two surprise 9-11 movies but <laughs> um, but um yeah we'll see i suppose on that one with the batman i i like i said i'm I, and i feel like as as over obviously batman in general i get every time they say they're gonna make another round of batman whatever's uh the last two times the casting has always intrigued me, right? Like when, when Affleck got cast as Batman, I was like, no, yeah, okay. That feels right. Right. Like he, that feels like the right thing for the kind of thing they want to make. And I, yeah, I, you know, I'm super 
definitely curious. Uh, I don't know if excited is the word because, like I said, I feel like I might need a break from Batman. But um, I think if anybody could intrigue me enough to get me excited about it, maybe once it gets closer to it coming out, he is certainly the one to do that. Yeah, my hesitation, other than just the IP being tired or whatever, is I want to like the Ape, the Planet of the Apes sequel mm-hmm. movies from yeah. Matt Reeves as much as the rest of the world does. Yeah, and I, and I simply do not. Yeah. So so I never saw the third one. I only saw the second one, which was the only which was the, yeah. because so, he only directed those two, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean. Yeah, I don't honestly have much to say about it. I'm a Colin Farrell guy, so him sure. playing, he plays the penguin. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Zoe Kravitz is uh, Catwoman. Catwoman. Yeah, right. Like the cool. cast, all, all you super know, whatever. interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm equally, if not more, excited for The Devil All the Time, which is the next Antonio Campos movie um, with uh, Robert Pattinson, Riley Keough, and Tom Holland. So that will come out at some point as well. I want to say that's a Netflix movie. Mm. I don't I I'm not quite sure. I can try to quickly look that up. But in terms of like what we're hoping for, I mean, he's one of these guys. He seems you to know, be kind of doing it. Yeah, I, he's like, doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things I, where yeah, I just, it is a Netflix. It is just to say it is a Netflix movie. So yeah, I I think I just in general, I just hope he keeps it weird. He's he's good at it. And I think the right. more he leaned into it. I had said this uh, I think prior to one of our cinephile game nights, but I mentioned that like, as we were watching these movies and I was preparing for it, the, one of the other current actors that I would compare him most to, um, is Caleb Landry Jones. <laughs> like, I think he, yeah. he sort of thrives off of this, this weirdo vibe. Um, and the more he leans into that, the more I like it. Uh, I think he, as I said, I think he's Caleb Landry Jones, but with way better bone structure. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it. Uh, anything else we want to say on Pattinson? I don't think so. Hopefully you're enjoying the Cinephile Game Nights. We've been having a ball doing it, raising money for good causes. Um, so look out for those as they keep coming throughout the summer. Um, I think, yeah, look for his new stuff. Tenet's probably out as you're listening to this or about to be Maybe. out. You're probably weighing, yeah. weighing, your, weighing, your, uh, weighing your options. Somebody made a good point on Twitter, whatever, where they were like, it's funny how tenants getting all the shit for the whole coming out or not coming out. And like, nobody's talking about Mulan, which is right. like, which I, not that Warner brothers is I some think small part of it's, company, think, but like it is Disney releasing. Yeah. Mulan, and I right? think, it's I like, think part of it too, is that sort of, I, it's the narrative around it, right. That people are, we're speculating like, Ooh, is like, is tenant the movie that's going to save movie theaters. Right. So yes, it's like, yes, yes. As, soon as, it, as soon as it got that kind of thing on its that's shoulders, true. I think that's just kept following it and following it. And I think it's yeah. also, the thing of Mulan did it now twice, but for a while, just once it's like Mulan Disney almost kicked the can further down the road with Mulan than Warner brothers did with tenant, uh, before ultimately now moving it twice, but we will, uh, that's a good point. We will Um, see, but, but yeah, nothing more on Pattinson. Um, we celebrate his weirdness as always. And, um, yeah, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, DJ Mecca, I just I will have published a review of the new Rod Lurie movie, The Outpost, uh, starring Scott Eastwood and Caleb Landry Jones, as a matter of fact. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of the last one. Oh, Orlando Bloom, the one and only. Oh, okay. And, um, so check that out. It'll be on the site uh, probably uh, as you're listening. And that's it. I'll pass it back to you, Connor, to wrap us up for the day. Yeah, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. 
Um, we, you know, we have a pretty great backlog. If you're new to the show, uh, we just did an episode on the films of Casey Lemons, um, which are some super interesting ones. You should check that episode out. You should check those movies out. Um, you should also, after this, uh, go watch Damsel. It's great. Um, on Hulu right now, uh, currently on Hulu, you can watch it. Um, and yeah, we have some, some other ones coming up. Uh, We didn't mention, obviously Pattinson was sort of a, a listener's choice, uh, winner in a poll, a series of polls that we did. So we have a couple more of those, uh, on our, uh, on our docket as we kind of keep moving forward. So, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you're all staying safe and, uh, just remember as we look forward to something like the Batman, uh, not all heroes wear capes, but they definitely wear masks. Honey bun, honey bun, honey bun. Honey bun, honey bun, honey bun. Honey bun, honey bun, honey bun. Mmm, mmm, my honey bun. That's really pretty.